Welcome to the Legislate podcast, a place to learn about the latest insights and trends in property, technology, business building, and contract drafting. Today, I'm excited to welcome David, co-founder at Staple, a men's basic clothing brand that seeks out neglected yet essential items and pulls them apart and re-engineers them to guarantee a longer lifespan, tailored fit, and ethical sourcing. David, thank you for making the time. Please, can you share a bit of background about yourself and Staple? Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks, Charles, for having me on. It's great to be here. And so, yeah, as you explained, Staple, it's an ethical menswear brand. We launched, we basically had a problem that lots of people in a similar situation to us had, whereby when we're looking for, let's say, just a plain back T-shirt, there's no, there's, the options are really quite limited. And the options that do exist don't necessarily tick everyone's boxes of, let's of slow fashion, ethical sourcing, quality. And usually when you do find one of those things, ethically sourced t-shirts, what you find is that you're then priced out of the market. And you th- and like myself, you're left standing there saying, but it's just a plain t-shirt, so what's going on? So what we figured was that we would create a place where actually you can get everything you want in a plain t-shirt and it wouldn't cost you a fortune. So... We actually, when we launched the brand, the four of us didn't have that much experience within fashion. So things like slow fashion, fast fashion, they weren't really topics that we knew much about. We weren't really educated in them. It's We're basically fair game for the brands because they would be like, because it's ethical, it's going to cost you £100. But as we delved into it, we realised that's not the case. So what we're going to do is make slow fashion accessible for everyone so that people can come. And you can get your ethically sourced, high quality item, and you don't have to choose between that and paying the rent one month, you know. <laughs> so yeah, and then as we got going, we realised that we actually we the clothing was just the entry point into quite a cool, sorry, quite a cool like spectre of life where we can meet loads of different people doing loads of different things. And as we grew into it, we got more and more involved and more and more into it, and that's how we ended up with this brand, which started as just four guys in the pub having an idea, but it's now morphed into something far bigger than that. And it's become a bit more, I wouldn't say a movement, but more of a movement. Congratulations. I'm sure you've, yeah, four men in a pub without a background in fashion have defied all odds to um, you know, build, build such a successful clothing brand and also an ethical one, which I think in fashion is really challenging. Yeah. It's like, there's so many different ways you can go and Basically, what happens is manufacturers, they use the jargon, like I'm sure you're aware, as it happens everywhere, where they hit you with this, like, bam, bam, and you kind of stand there confused, and you don't really know what's going on. But I find with fashion, when you go for an ethical supplier, they also have, like, they're, they're much more willing to help you along the way. So it's not like they take advantage of you, they're just, we understand you don't know that much, but we're going to help you. And we're going to work together to build partnerships to succeed. So that's been a really helpful part of the journey. And so are you saying then you've achieved the ethical status by mainly working with suppliers? No, so it's it's basically the core of it comes down to the factory. The ethical is all about the sourcing and how it's sourced and basically how the people in the factory are treated. So for instance, in a fast fashion factory, it would be like, Pregnant women have to have their babies at the desk <laughs> and they're back. They're expected back at work about six minutes after they've had their kids. 
and then their kids are also expected to work. Whereas an ethical factory would be like, okay, it's exactly the same as the UK or the US or wherever you base yourself. And if you have a if you have a baby, you have maternity leave, and if you want to progress through the company, they'll they'll help you to progress through. And for instance, our factory, they give their staff English lessons so they can develop skills and move on. And it's not about them sitting there making clothes at a ridiculously low rate of pay for the rest of their lives. So it basically, the ethics is really, uh, the core of it is in the actual factory. So right at the beginning. And then it actually goes back, it actually goes back further than that because it's also how the fabric is sourced and where it's grown. So for instance, as cotton from Uzbekistan is banned because for three months a year, most Uzbeki men are taken from their jobs and sent to the cotton fields to pick cotton. And then that's not a choice. So there's also a whole the ethics start actually starts literally from when the fabric, when the cotton or whatever it is you're using, is taken out of the ground. So a good fat an ethical factory will take care of that side for you and give you proper certification that proves everything they do is above board. Thank you for the uh, masterclass in uh, ethical. (laughs) I guess the next question is, why aren't more brands doing this? Cost, because look at you take a brand. We personally don't like to say anything about any brands negatively because I don't believe in doing that because every brand does what they need to do. So, but there are certain brands that aren't able to grow, that have only been able to grow at such a fast rate because they could hand, let's say, a thousand influencers a box of a hundred different clothes, get it going, get the marketing going. Everyone hears about them, everyone buys their stuff. Like you go online and you see it costs you five pounds here as opposed to 50 pounds there for the same things. So it's just a matter of people just want to make sense. So it comes down to brands trying to grow massively at a very fast rate that's never really been done before congratulations it seems like you've definitely uh, achieved a lot and learned a lot in the process what's been your favorite no, moment you. so far favorite moment so far interesting because every day's every day's different and every day has its own reason of why this was good and that was great um, but as a man who i really enjoy traveling around and seeing different places and meeting experiencing different cultures and so when we decided to manufacture in peru which is where our stuff's manufactured we figured that we would go to visit the actual factory before signing off on the order. So that three-week trip to Peru, that was great. I'd say, I'd say that was really, that was a really great trip. And then, okay. you know, in terms of like general day to day, just the first sale, the first organic sale was a great day because then it was like a nice bit of, um, you know, it's good to know that what we made, what we made actually works. So. That bit of validation is always really, really great. Then we had a launch event a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, in November. That was great. There's been so many moments, but the trip to Peru was really, <laughs> that was really. Yeah, I wish I could have a trip to Peru uh, <laughs> as part of um, Let's Take, but uh, one day maybe. And, yeah. and what do you wish you had known before starting Staple? Oh, interesting. What do I wish I'd have? I'm not sure. What do I wish I'd have known? I'll tell you what, I wish I would have been more clued in as to where, what's a success and what's a not success. Because 
when I first went into it, I thought the success would be a certain amount of sales. And when we didn't get to that, I was like, oh, that's really bad. And then it knocks you off course for a week or two. So, like, for instance, just to know exactly where we were, what would have been a success and then not a success at the right time, that would have made the first couple of months much easier. Because we worked it out. It didn't take that long. But for the first month or two, that would have been quite useful to know. I think, yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, it's, it's very difficult to manage expectations. So, yeah. And, and what's the vision for Staple in the next three, five years? Okay, so <clears throat> at the moment, we've just got T-shirts as our product range. But we're working on jumpers, shirts, jacket, uh, denim jackets to come quite soon. They'll be ready to go in the next probably eight to 12 weeks. So what we're trying to do is going to keep growing. We'll keep trying to grow our product range until we have like a full, like a full line. But also keep retaining our four pillars, which were ethical, so expert tailoring, world-class fabrics, and accessible pricing. So we built those pillars because we wanted those to be what Staples builds on all the way through. So for the ethical sourcing to make sure everything comes sourced ethically, that explains itself. The world-class fabrics is what we're trying to do is bring like a luxury experience to people for an, an regular price so that everyone can get access to amazing fabrics and um, the expert tailoring. Again, we work with a tailor from Savile Row to design our clothes because we figured that basics and t-shirts and this kind of stuff people don't really tailor it and you don't really get the quality you get from let's say and then the last one which is accessible pricing is just we want to make sure that everything is always priced that way that regular people can just still afford to aspire to buy a staple and yeah just keep building the brand just keep it going and retain our core pillars well, um, you've, and just keep going you've definitely got the the perfect brand name so well done on <laughs> thank you so great and as a entrepreneur founder what are the key contracts that you interact with the most? Okay, so the key contracts we interact with the most. We had one contract which went a bit wrong, which was for our website, which um, I just went a bit wrong. But the, so that gave us an experience of how contracts work, how to go through them and make sure they're rock solid. And now when we bring on influencers and TikTokers and people just to promote our brand, we create contracts for them to sign. So because... In the past, we've been burnt where we've sent someone a T-shirt. He said he would do something, and then it didn't quite work out. If we'd had a contract, then we'd have had more to say, actually. So I think we're going to keep... We haven't really got sold with contracts yet because we haven't started with a new round of influencers. But we've we've drafted one, so now that will be the contract. And also factories, because you have payment terms. So certain percentage before and a percentage after. So, yeah, those will be the contracts that we are using great and and you mentioned that some of those contracts didn't work out quite well what can you share examples of some of the issues where maybe there was lack of clarity or some confusion which led to yeah on the, on the website one so we were given we were under the impression that let's say when someone said put a basket on your website when you click the basket so we were under the impression that when you click that the functionality of the basket is included in the in the clip and then it turns out that actually it was just the icon of the basket <laughs> the <laughs> functionality of the basket which was a bit surprising and we were just like yeah that's a bit you know like yeah and then that's when we learned that contract all about what's written not what's about assumed so it's irrelevant if that's what you think 
it's actually just what's written on paper is what's important. So yeah, it just that's... made us able to see how thorough we have to be on contracts moving forward. Yeah, that's a, a valid point. A contract isn't just a piece of paper that you sign. The contents are actually uh, really important. And and I think yeah. one thing at Legislate that we really try to to do is we don't believe in jargon and, and legalese. We simplify the wording so that it's easy to understand for non-lawyers yeah. because that they're our target audience and user base. But the other thing is, yeah. you know, representing the contract visually or as a set of question and answers can also help improve a person's understanding of what are their rights and obligations when they're entering into this agreement. And just being yeah. upfront from the start is how you ensure, you know, a, a rock solid uh, relationship and expectations which are aligned. So yeah, thank you for that, that insight and a great tip for other founders. So I'm conscious, David, I've taken already a lot of your time. So I'm going to ask you the closing question we ask all our guests. If you were being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you? Would impress me? Saying the whole thing as concise as possible. I'm just saying everything in this small amount of words as possible. Because I find when people really understand things, they make it very simple for other people. So to see that the person drafting the contract has a very clear grip on the contract and there's no in-betweens and there's no gray area. And it's just blah, 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 blah. That would be perfect a great answer and a great feature that actually at least the legislature we're trying to do is, is make contracts simple and easy to understand because yeah. you're right if you don't if you don't fully understand something then it can be you, you just waffle and contracts can waffle sometimes <laughs> well thank you very much david for no, being on the list and and best of luck building staple and, and expanding your product range i'll, I'll definitely uh, check yeah, out thanks. your products brilliant thank you very much Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, David.